Welcome back to Early Detection of Pancreatic Cancer, The Importance of Primary Care. My name is Jeffrey Gordetsky, and I've been a practicing family physician for 30 years. I'm speaking with Dr. James Farrell, Director of the Yale Center for Pancreatic Diseases and an interventional gastroenterologist who specializes in pancreatic cancer. Our discussion today will center around pancreatic cysts and diabetes and the role those play in pancreatic cancer. The way that pancreatic cancer is found in many patients is an incidental finding when they have abdominal imaging for some other reason and radiology notices an abnormality in the pancreas. I know pancreatic cysts are fairly common. Can you talk about which pancreatic cysts we as PCP should be most concerned about? So pancreatic cysts are incredibly common. Uh, they're really the result of many things, but the, the major one has been the increased use of CT scans and MRI scans over the last 10 or 15 years and particularly good quality imaging. So people are getting CT scans for kidney stones, and then incidentally, something abnormal is found in the pancreas. And it's interesting, you probably see this in your practice as well. You know, it's very alarming to patients, especially with everything that's going on in the news, to hear that there's some abnormality in their pancreas and everybody always assumes it's the worst. Um, but the most common abnormality that we see are these pancreatic cysts, so small fluid-filled collections, you know, anything from five millimeters in size to, you know, 40 millimeters to 50 millimeters or so on. And they're very common. So we think that about like 6 million people in the country have, in the U.S. at least, have some form of pancreatic cyst on imaging. And now the vast majority of those patients, of course, are not going to develop into pancreatic cancer. And that's where the challenge lies, is us trying to figure out which of these cysts are worrisome and need to be followed and need to be followed maybe to the point where surgery is involved and need to be removed. And which cysts do we not really have to worry about where we can check in from time to time? So there's a very long list of pathologies that are associated with pancreatic cysts. Um, things such as benign cysts, such as pseudocysts or serous adenomas, that really a pathologist um, would be able to define. But on the other end of the spectrum are things called mucinous cysts. And the two large categories of mucinous cysts are something called a mucinous cystic neoplasm. That's a relatively uncommon type of neoplasm. But a much more common type of cyst called an IPMN. And we, you'll hear more and more about this over time. IPMN stands for intraductal papillary mucinous neoplasm. And it really accounts for the vast majority of the cysts that are picked up incidentally. And as a result of that, it's important because it is considered a precancerous cyst. And that's really what's worrisome is the fact that not only are the vast majority of cysts out there IPMNs, but IPMNs are in fact precancerous cysts. That's helpful because obviously this is a very common thing we face in primary care. So what type of follow-up should these patients be receiving? Should we refer them to GIs, to surgeons, or who, and if so, when? So it's really best done in some form of multidisciplinary uh, care. It typically does start with a radiologist. Uh, at times then from there, you know, you and your colleagues in primary care are also involved because often you're the individuals who are getting these reports and scans back. A gastroenterologist such as myself will get involved uh, primarily to kind of give an opinion about what type of cyst it is. And it is, if it is an IPMN cyst, if it's a presumed IPMN cyst, whether it's a type of cyst that we should be following or whether it's a type of cyst that should be seen by a surgeon 
and be ultimately removed because either the risk of it having a cancer or developing a cancer is very high. Now, fortunately, in 2020, we have a series of guidelines that help us with this. And it's made life a little less complicated, by no means perfect, uh, but certainly a little bit less complicated to help guide which patients should have uh, further evaluation and which patients we don't have to worry about. For pancreatic cysts that are likely IPMNs, and these again are the single, or sometimes they are multifocal cysts within the pancreas, um, size and other features within the pancreas, such as the size of the main pancreatic duct, are important for uh, determining whether additional evaluation or no evaluation is necessary. So in former times, every cyst over three centimeters used to be alarming, and it used to require uh, us to do uh, consider surgical uh, evaluation. Now we have a more refined bunch of criteria. It still includes cysts greater than three centimeters. It also includes a dilated main pancreatic duct anywhere between five to nine millimeters, the presence of a nodule, a rapidly enlarging cyst, the presence of pancreatitis, for example, or the presence of lymphadenopathy. And all those features on an MRI scan or a CT scan should really say to the primary care physician, you know, I think we need uh, more work up here. And that's typically when a gastroenterologist would get involved and consider doing an endoscopic ultrasound. Um, what the endoscopic ultrasound will allow us to do is take a closer look, biopsy the cyst, look for a solid component that might be worrisome. And under those circumstances, then we start identifying cysts that we think a surgeon needs to see uh, for the purposes of considering for surgical resection. So the vast majority of patients do not get to that stage. The vast majority of patients have cysts that are less than three centimeters and none of these so-called worrisome features. But for those patients, because we still think and believe that these patients have precancerous cysts, we recommend that they should be followed. And it's a combination of either annual or biannual MRIs or CT scans. And it's not so much lifelong, it's really for a period of time in a patient's uh, life when surveillance is appropriate. So for example, if we're dealing with a patient with significant comorbidities, such as lung disease and heart disease, who would never really stand uh, a pancreatic surgery, there probably is no point pushing surveillance on individuals like that. On the other extreme, however, if you're dealing with a young and relatively fit 40 or 50 year old, then it does make sense to kind of peek in from time to time to understand what's going on with their cyst. And so it is a very complex area. We've certainly learned a lot more about it in the last 10 years than previously. And I say, fortunately, now we have a variety of guidelines. We have radiology guidelines, we have gastroenterology guidelines, we have multidisciplinary guidelines. That really, I won't say they, again, they don't make it perfect, but they certainly help uh, going a long way to decide which patients we need to be surveying. Uh, there are which patients we can possibly uh, ignore completely, and also which patients require additional investigations, such as an endoscopic ultrasound or even surgical evaluation. Interesting. So on another note, there's a lot coming out about nuance of diabetes after the age of 50 in pancreatic cancer. Now, us in primary care, we see a lot of people over that age coming out with diabetes. So what's the latest research in this area and what should we be doing about it? So the, the interplay between uh, diabetes and pancreatic cancer is, is quite complex. 
you know, on one level, you can think about anti-diabetic medications, even diabetes in itself being a risk factor for development of pancreatic cancer. But really the concern is now that pancreatic cancer at its very earliest stages, even at a stage perhaps where uh, it's not even recognizable on standard imaging, might be affecting blood sugars in some way that we could begin to use diabetes as potentially a biomarker for pancreatic cancer. So this comes back to some previous issues where we were thinking, well, it's very hard to do general population screening for pancreatic cancer. We don't have uh, the perfect bi blood biomarkers just yet. We hope to be there. Um, but let's just look at higher risk groups. And we've already talked about the familial risks. We've talked about the genetics. We've talked about pancreatic cysts. And perhaps new onset diabetes is another cohort of individuals who would be at risk or should be looked at more closely for the development of pancreatic cancer. And the prevalence of diabetes in pancreatic uh, ductal adenocarcinoma, depending on how you do your assay, if you look at medical records or glucose tolerance tests, fasting blood glucose, uh, ranges from anywhere between four to 65%. But in one large study um, that looked at a uh, case control model of newly diagnosed pancreatic cancer, some abnormality of glucose was found in about 85% of all newly diagnosed pancreatic ductal adenocarcinomas. So there's clearly something going on. And there are some data out there saying that for newly diagnosed patients with pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma, these blood sugar abnormalities can begin up to 36 months before um, the diagnosis of pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma and certainly can be present there long before any, any imaging abnormality shows up. So this is still very early days in terms of trying to figure out what the next step is, trying to understand the mechanism involved, but also more importantly, trying to figure out how can we tap into this uh, to try and identify patients sooner? And that's what the current challenge is. Um, it must be said that the risk is still very low and diabetes is very common. New, new onset diabetes uh, at the age of 50 is very common, but it's guesstimated that probably in the region of 1% of new onset diabetics, which is a large number of individuals, will develop pancreatic cancer within a three-year period after the diagnosis of their new onset diabetes. And there's a lot of research and consortia involved in trying to harness that to see if we can, can come up with a better strategy for diagnosing pancreatic cancer earlier. Interesting. And lastly, are there any other modifiable risk factors associated with pancreatic cancer we can look for? I think this is probably uh, a large area that goes with some, for want of a better way of putting it, some common sense approach to healthy living and healthy lifestyles. We know that cigarette smoking, for example, is the number one uh, you know, uh, exogenous explanation for pancreatic cancer. We often think about it in terms of lung cancer, but actually when it comes to pancreatic cancer, it's a fairly frequent contributor. Alcohol has some impact uh, on the pancreas in general, not just in terms of development of cancer, but also inflammation of the pancreas. But general lifestyle in terms of obesity, uh, which has been associated with a variety of cancers, has also been associated with uh, the development of pancreatic cancer. So when you think about things that you would do to improve uh, your risk factors for the development of pancreatic cancer, which are outside your control, outside your family history uh, or your genetics, 
they're very similar to the risk factors you would want to control for just good, healthy living in terms of, you know, managing your weight, healthy lifestyle, you know, uh, uh, minimizing your alcohol and obviously uh, excluding cigarette smoking completely. Very interesting. So to wrap up this uh, session, obviously the healthy lifestyle factors with tobacco and alcohol and obesity are very important as they are in many of the things we, we manage. Um, pancreatic cysts, of course, being very common, need to be acted upon or followed up on depending on the type of cyst they are and diabetes nuance at, at the age of, after the age of 50 is certainly a new and evolving trend we have to follow for a risk factor for pancreatic cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us for episode three when we discuss when we as primary care physicians should be suspicious of pancreatic cancer in our patients.